welcome back to another episode of Loss of Down. I am your host, Stephen Weed, and of course, always joining me in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, my co-host, Wally Lukashensky. Wally, how are we doing out there? How was your Super Bowl Sunday, bud? It was a lot of fun, with the exception of the teams playing, but it's the last game of the year, and it's always fun to get excited and watch that. You get commercials, you get bad food, and then go figure. We had a matchup for the ages this year, like you've kind of build it last week it was the goat versus the future and it was it wasn't exactly what we expected we both thought it was going to be a better game than that obviously you were on the right end but congratulations to tom brady in tampa bay and again congrats on tom getting seven so in wally's household if you guys do not know that family loves to cook not just cook cook a fucking feast but I believe it's typically every Sunday, if not every Saturday. So, why? What? What was the favorite thing you made, or just some things you did make? But what was the favorite thing you stuffed in that face of yours? Oh gosh, see, I've been trying to watch my weight. So this is like the year ev- or time of year every time where the diet takes an abrupt halt for a while. And Sunday, yeah, we had hot wings, which is obviously a crowd favorite. Dad made bruschetta. We had. Gosh, we had naan, we had chicken masala, we had a lot of food. I'm I'm forgetting a lot right now too. We had enchiladas. It was a whole deal. I ate enough, only drank more. That's the problem. I forgot quite a bit of it. What was going over on your end? Did you get to pig out a little bit too? Personally, I picked out too much. I just I had the normal um every Sunday what I typically make. We always have wings. Shout out to Sharon Weed and my grandmother for the air fryer. I've always got wings. Do a little pepperoni ball action. Switch it up with either pigs in a blanket or every once in a while some mott sticks. So I had pigs in a blanket this time around. As well as buffalo chicken dip. And that buffalo chicken dip fucked me up. I was full from Super Bowl Sunday until four o'clock on Monday. That is when I Ate for the first time since eating on Super Bowl Sunday. So I was stuffed to the brim. I felt horrible. I woke up in the middle of the night like coughing and gasping for air. I was so full. It was it was worth it though. But I do have to ask you this. I know you're not a big weekend guy. For you guys who didn't watch the Super Bowl, which you are the black sheep of the entire world, the weekend performed at the halftime here at the Super Bowl. I thought it was absolutely amazing. Dude slaughtered it. Our generation's Michael Jackson. He got to show off his pipes, and it was amazing. And really got to stick it to the uh, to the Grammys as well. But I want to kind of, as an outsider kind of looking in, this isn't really your cup of tea of music, Wally, but I know it was kind of weird. But overall, what did you think of the halftime show? See, in a weird way, it was – I had already lost so many prop bets. I had already eaten so much food. I had already drank way too much at this point. So I was like half engaged. It was remarkable, the actual aesthetics and the fact that you hear that he put $7 million of his own money into it. And it was very evident. I mean, he shelled out. And I mean, credit to him. You can tell these guys realize this is a very defining moment for them in their career. This is something we talk about halftime shows decades after. We don't have to know the people, but we enjoy or we hate these a long time after them. So we've already got memes from it. You know, the weekend walking through his little mirror house where he's looking all around. You're going to be seeing that everywhere for the next few months. So I can I mean, I don't remember much of the actual halftime show itself. I won't sit here and lie to you. But on the whole, it was at least very fun, energetic. It was at least something – it was different. I think that the people that don't like it, they're, they're the kind of people that weren't going to be pleased either way. You see that every single year. They find reasons to bitch about the – 
the halftime show, oh, it should have been the Rolling Stones or some other 65-year-old band that can't catch their breath every 13 seconds and the songs don't even sound right. So I think they're going in the right direction. I think that it's good to keep going with this young approach. And for those of you who do not know, there's been a little bit of a back and forth between The weekend and the Grammys when The weekend selected to perform at the halftime of the Super Bowl versus performing at the Grammys. So millions of people to perform in front of versus hundreds of thousands. Obviously, The weekend made the best decision too. Hopefully, there will be more recognition from the Grammys here moving forward because The weekend easily had the best album last year and him getting snubbed and being upset about it is perfectly normal. So shout out to Abel. You absolutely killed it, my man. I hope we get another Super Bowl halftime from you. Of course, I know why we're all here. We want to talk about the Super Bowl, Tom versus Patrick Mahomes. But first, we have a couple stories that are kind of poking us in the side to talk about. First off, the Eagles finally sharp shopping Carson Wentz. Finally time to get that man out of there. New head coach. I'm not too surprised. That's typically how it goes. Really funny thing is, since Matt Stafford got traded for two first-round picks, the Eagles are looking for the exact same and maybe a little bit more. So, Wally, Eagles are finally getting rid of Wentz, it looks like. How absurd is that asking price? And do you think, A, a team is going to pay that? And B, what team would pay that? Well, right now, after you've seen for weeks the talk about Matthew Stafford, the talk about Deshaun Watson, we already got to see what the price was for Matthew Stafford. It's kind of going to, you'd imagine, set the market in a really weird offseason where we're seeing guys that are typically known as franchise quarterbacks get moved and or at least get disgusted at being moved, which is not something we're accustomed to the week after the Super Bowl. Now, Carson Wentz, he has a lot of people still thinking, hey, you know what? We've seen how good he could be in the right situation. This was the same podcast in our first episode before the year. We were borderline talking about whether or not he was a great quarterback. One year, it's crazy how fast that can change a narrative on a player. Maybe without Peterson, he goes somewhere else, gets a fresh start. Clearly, those two didn't like each other. They're both happy to be gone. And it's ironic enough, they're both not going to be in Philadelphia next year. At least that's the way it looks right now. I don't think the price is right at this moment. But at some point, it's going to even out for that asking price. I mean, especially, you'd imagine Watson is either going to be moved or they're going to just come out and say, he's done, he's not getting moved in the coming future. Now with Russell Wilson kind of hinting at being unhappy in Seattle, that might be something to keep an eye on too. I don't, I mean, I'm not the type of guy that's going to kind of hinder my franchise going forward on a question mark. And right now with Carson Wentz, he's a huge question mark. He's going to have to pay or make that money that rookie quarterbacks aren't. So I personally think I would rather take my luck with this kind of quarterback rookie class coming up opposed to trading for a guy like Wentz who already has those banged up knees, who's already shown that he hasn't exactly progressed at the level that we expected him to. So I'm not trying to move him. It'll be interesting to see if maybe another franchise was like, you know, we can fix this guy. And if we do fix this guy, who knows, maybe you get that franchise quarterback back. Do you believe that Wentz is going to get moved? And if he is moved, do you think the Eagles are going to have to come down a bit? And at the end of the day, are Philadelphia fans going to be able to get past it? Because for some reason, they have this weird infatuation with Carson Wentz. I'd agree with you, Wally, about lowering the asking price for Carson Wentz. They're going to quickly realize that two first-round picks, that's just not – a teams are not going to pay that for Carson Wentz. This league is, what have you done for me lately? 
Carson Wentz has done nothing for the Eagles lately except get a bunch of the blame when seamlessly a couple years ago, everyone was praising how he's putting the team on his back. He's leading them to the promised land, gets the injury. Nick Foles does it. He just has not been the same since. Of course, everyone's saying the Colts would be a great fit. He'd be back with his old offensive coordinator, have a stacked defense, a great old line, and a running game. That's the only place I could see it, not for two first-round picks. Seems like uh, Carson Wentz may be sticking around in Philly for a little bit longer, Walter. Well, and if he does stick in Philly, I, like I said, for some reason, at least Philadelphia, the city itself, for some reason, have attached their saddle to Carson Wentz, which they have not been able to do for basically any quarterback. I mean, this is the franchise. This is the fan base that booed Donovan McNabb at the draft. This is the franchise that went to the NFC title game, what, three or four times in the McNabb era, and we're not happy. So I don't understand why this time is different. But for some reason, he's got a really long leash. So at least if he is back, you would imagine he gets at least another fair crack at it. Now, whether or not he wants to be back is another question. Sure, he's out word and he's got his agent doing the whole you know what I love Philadelphia this is great but behind the scenes it really has a feeling of dude I want a fresh start I'm never going to be the guy that people thought especially after the Nick Foles Super Bowl run it was fortunate for Philly at the moment but for a guy like Carson Wentz that's kind of a cloud that's going to hang over his head for his entire career in Philadelphia I wasn't the guy that got a ring but my backup did you have that expectation now that if you don't win a ring while you're in Philadelphia, you'd have to imagine that you have to look back and say the tenure was a failure. I'm just going to leave it at that. You're my uh, Pennsylvania guy, my Philly expert, so I'll just leave it at that. You were talking about Carson Wentz having a long leash in Philadelphia. Russell Wilson has had a long leash for his front office and head coach in Seattle. That got very short this week with a lot of rumors circulating that Russell Wilson could be wanting out of Seattle. Why? Lack of protection. The man is tired of getting hit. He has been sacked a hundred more times than the next quarterback behind him. He's extremely successful with no O-line. All the man's asking for is a pretty decent O-line. So I'll toss this to you here, Wally. Russell Wilson, is this man leaving Seattle? Or do they finally need to get their head out of their ass and protect the greatest quarterback to ever touch that city? In a really weird way, you're seeing a lot of the football analysts like PFF, stuff like that. They're actually, oddly enough, they're not as much on Russell Wilson's side in this as I feel like the average fan is because they believe that he gets himself into a lot of trouble by holding onto the ball too much, by scrambling outside the pocket, getting himself in those positions to sometimes take those big hits that he's talking about not wanting to take right now. It's weird. It's a little bit of a, it's an uncomfortable situation. Do I see him moving? No. Because you did mention it. Seattle's not used to having a guy like Russell Wilson. The guy is, I mean, we were talking about him being the MVP of the league halfway through this season before that offense kind of took a step back, kind of started struggling a little bit on the passing side. And they really went to that let Russ cook movement that everybody's been wanting to have more of a pass first offense instead of such a in vain, try to run the ball down your throat even when it's not working attempt, when you have guys like Chris Carson and, and that entire running back committee rushing for 30 times a game with him as a quarterback, I don't think he goes anywhere. He's outstanding. He's still a top five quarterback in this entire league. And for me, that makes you an immediate Super Bowl contender. And they were this year. If they could figure out, they have like a couple pieces here and there, 
they might be, have been the NFC representative this year for all we know. And who knows how different this conversation is going had that happened. So for me, I don't think he moves. I think this is a lot of noise. This is a lot less like the Watson, the Wentz, what we saw with Stafford, where it felt imminent. This doesn't feel imminent. This feels like a a guy that's kind of voicing his frustration the week after a Super Bowl. You're thinking, this should be me celebrating. It should be me having a parade right now. So I think it's more or less just frustration all the way around. And I think that they're going to be able to work it out. You'll see Seattle probably take a lineman somewhere in the draft yet again. Probably a couple, honestly, if they don't address it in free agency. So for me, a lot of noise. But I'm not looking too much into it at this very moment. Fair enough. I'm not really looking into it either. They're going to get something done to make sure that Russell Wilson is protected. Ironically, onto our next story, Orlando Brown, who is the who is the right tackle for the Baltimore Ravens, is actually looking to get out of Baltimore because he is tired of playing the right tackle position because he is a natural left tackle. Hmm. Funny how that one lines up. Do we see an Orlando Brown to Seattle trade coming soon to keep Russ happy? It'll be interesting to see where it lands. At this point, it is so new. This is something that really just came out today. We were just talking about before we we started this because it is kind of a fresh topic. So I really don't know where the landing spots would be at this moment yet. He's the weird guy where coming out of college, everybody remembers his combine was horrific. He expected to be a top 10, top 15 pick. But all of a sudden, Mr. Orlando Brown, I think he threw up something like nine reps on the bench press. It might have been 14. Maybe I'm misremembering. And he had ran a really slow 40. And it just goes to show that people overvalue these non-football activities, such as the combine, sometimes more than the actual game film. The guy's an outstanding tackle. It'll be interesting to see if he can make that transition at the pro level to the left side. But I mean, shit. I mean, if you're a team like Seattle, I mean, Orlando Brown's proven himself to be a very capable tackle in this league. And you have to believe a guy with his work ethic will be able to make that transition to the left side. I will be keeping an eye on that, but I don't know at this moment exactly where I would put him. Who knows? There's a chance this is another one of those situations similar to Russell Wilson that maybe Baltimore sits down with him and says, hey, dude, you're a very critical part of this offense. This offense that has basically been running down the league's throat the last two years. I don't want to see you go. So who knows? There's a chance he might stay, but yeah, he certainly doesn't sound happy right now. And I mean, he threw out the the magic request trade word, which you know right now in the NFL, everybody just assumes he's guaranteed to move and everybody's fan or franchise, everybody's fan base that needs an offensive lineman talk themselves into, hey, you know what? Let's go get Orlando Brown. But who knows, especially with the cap this year, this is going to be a very interesting offseason with the cap coming down and a lot of teams up against it already. Mixture between the cap coming down, there's a, a lot of talent that's going to be out there. Couple couple quarterbacks, obviously Dak Prescott is headlining that. Some good receivers, you know, we have between Chris Godwin, Kenny Galladay, Allen Robinson, as well as AJ Green might be floating around there. So this could be uh this could be a very, very good offseason. I feel like we say that every year, but every year better players are just gonna be hitting the market. Not only that, you also have a lot of these players that have seen these mega contracts come in year in and year out for guys in their position groups. This is the first time because of that cap coming down, you're going to have teams go into these players and say, dude, I, we don't have the money for you. I, I want to pay you that big deal that you deserve. It just doesn't exist. And a lot of these players are going to run into that issue. And it's, it, it's just a, 
it's a very peculiar offseason for that reason. Usually we're seeing these the market kind of get raised for each position group. And for a rare change, we're going to see it do the opposite where you mentioned guys like A.J. Green who who thought, hey, you know what? I'm 32 years old. I deserve at least one more good payday. And all of a sudden, he's not going to have the market out there. and He might have to sign for a little bit less than he wants. And the only problem with that is, who knows, if you're signing for less money than you want, you might as well chase rings too. So I'm worried that you might see the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. Who knows? It's it's going to be a very bizarre few months here. Saturday before the Super Bowl, we had some awards and the Hall of Fame class also being announced. Had a couple of our boys on here, Wally, so now that you're pumped. Peyton Manning, Charles Woodson, Calvin Johnson, Drew Pearson, Alan Fanica, Bill Nunn, John Lynch, and yeah, boy, Tom Flores finally getting the nod. Before I kind of let you sound off about Tom, our guy Charles Woodson made it. Love seeing that. Obviously, if you guys don't know, what, eight years with the Raiders, six years with the Packers, and then another two to three years with the Raiders back. So that hits right close to home for us. How awesome is it to see our guy Charles Woodson in there? And did it come out if he's going to Oakland or Green Bay? Well, luckily, unlike baseball, they're not like wearing the cap in their pa- in their plaque. You know what I mean? So they kind of get to go in at least – saying they're with both teams. Usually you have the guys, like you got to see Peyton Manning after he got announced. He got the private plane into Tampa from the Ursay family, and he's wearing a freaking Colts pin on his chest. So Broncos fans were big mad at that. So I'm hoping simply because, I mean, I have nothing but respect for Green Bay. It's it's nice when you have an AFC and NFC team that don't have to play each other all too much. I hope that both fan bases are able to Basically, give him the support that he deserves when he is inducted. And there shouldn't be any problems. Yeah, there's going to be a little bit of the whole, he belongs to us. He belongs, no, he's he's a Packer. No, he's a Raider. At the end of the day, he did amazing things with both franchises. And that it's not like usual where sometimes the guys split their career and you're like, yeah, but he went to Green Bay. That was the back half. Or, oh, he went to Green Bay. That was just in his prime. He was in his prime for both. He was incredible for both. He made huge contributions to that Packers team that won a Super Bowl. And I think most Raider fans are happy to at least know he is going into Canton with a ring. So be it. We wish it was with the silver and black. We're happy that he got it. It was great. I want to hear what you think, too. But yeah, Charles Woodson, he's so deserving of a first ballot guy. Not to mention, here's the thing that everybody says when they know or follow a player his entire career. First ballot football player, first ballot human being. He's a great guy, too. Incredibly smart. Knows football well. And he's going to continue to make contributions to the game for a long time. And I, I couldn't be more happy for the guy. Absolutely. Love my man, Charles Wilson, even though, sorry, guys, he went to Michigan. But we weren't born yet when that was happening. So it is all good. Well, we were we were just super young. But, no, I agree. I, I think Charles Woodson is going to go in as an Oakland Raider. I don't think that he should be going in as a Packer unless it's strictly because he won the Super Bowl with them. He played great. Pro Bowls, all pro both with the Packers and the Raiders. He won a Defensive Player of the Year with the Packers as well, obviously, and the Super Bowl ring. I claim Reggie White, so fuck you, Philly. I'm going to let Charles Woodson go to Oakland on that one. I can't take two guys. That's bad. But, Wally, your time to shine, bud. The Raider that you've been wanting to get in the Hall of Fame for the longest time, the famous head coach, Mr. Tom Flores. Wally, I will take it away. How thrilled are you that he is in this, finally? Well, and I'm, I'm happy, first of all, you got to see things like Coors Light, credit to them, this year out in the West Coast. They had Tom Flores, the Canton-themed Coors Light packages, 
which is really cool. But I mean, this is, and also we got to see uh, some people anyways, Al Davis first the NFL this last week. I'm hoping that that kind of got to put into people's mind how like, important he was to the early Raiders teams, not only as a player, but then he as a coach, first Latin American coach to win a Super Bowl as a head coach. That's an incredible achievement. I think his biggest like slight on his resume was his terrible year in Seattle. But everybody forgets how bad that Seattle Seahawks team was in the early 90s. And I just think that it's unfair that we're going to diminish somebody for one bad season. So it's more than well-deserved. He's, I mean, he's just, he is, he's a Raider. Like, he is the Raider. Like, he's calling games after his career. Played before he coached. Everything in his life has seemed to go back to the Oakland, LA, now Las Vegas Raiders in some regard. So I know Raiders fans everywhere were thrilled. I know there's there's people that get slighted every year from the Hall of Fame votes. Like, I know my, my dad will die on the hill for the Bengals that guys like Ken Anderson belong in the Hall of Fame. You have Browns fans now. Clay Matthews Sr. belongs in the Hall of Fame. Every team seems to have these guys that just, for whatever reason, don't make it. And I'm just happy that he finally got through, especially while he is still alive. He's an older man. And you hate to see, I hate to keep bringing it back to the Raiders, but Ken Stabler got inducted a few years ago right after he passed away. And those hurt because you, you just, you know that these guys, this is a dream. This is such an exclusive club. The way, how special they're treated. It's just such a an emotional day for these people. And I'm just happy that he gets to enjoy it with not only his family now, but with Raider fans everywhere. It's a great time. I hope that a lot of these kind of guys like Flores do eventually get in. I can't tell you how fired up I am. That was as good as it was to see Charles Woodson get in. We knew he was going to get in. He was he If he wasn't first ballot, which he obviously was and deserved to be, he was going to get in very soon. Guys like Tom Flores had to wait, and I mean, wait for years, like decades. So it's really cool to see someone like him get in after that long overdue wait. And again, I've said it with Charles Woodson, but I just can't stop echoing myself. I couldn't be happier for Tom Flores and his family. Well, I'm tired of you being happy. Let's talk about why I'm happy, Wally. My man, Aaron Rodgers, coming away with the MVP of 2020. This man was playing out of his mind. He's won it for the third time, setting a bunch of different records, including now having the top two QBR ratings for a single season. The top two. Aaron Rodgers is the man. Can't say he's the GOAT. Tom Brady just won his seventh. So I think that conversation's already out the window if it wasn't out the window after five and six. Were you surprised that Aaron won this MVP? Or do we kind of see this coming? I know I saw this coming, Wally. But were you actually a believer as well? It was very well-deserved. And it is a little bittersweet, I know, for people like you Packers fans because who knows, if he does play a little better in the NFC title game, you might not only have the MVP, you might have another ring, you might have a Super Bowl MVP with it. But at the end of the day, it just goes to show how great Rodgers is, not only now, but has been in his entire career. It's always exciting when guys like this get the recognition that they finally deserve. Yeah, it, it was a year where you could have argued for a few people. But no, at the end of the day, I feel like Rodgers was was clearly the most valuable player in the league this year, especially for his team. If you throw an average quarterback on the Green Bay Packers, I mean, what are they? They're, they're a, a 9-7, and 10-6 and six team, maybe, because of that division? Maybe. Maybe. I would go with 7-9, 8-8. Eight eight. Again, maybe. Strictly because of their schedule. 
Yeah, so very impressive. I, it's one of those things where, yeah, there's a lot of jokes, and I make them too, so I'm not by any means uh, free from the scrutiny here. But you make the jokes about like, oh, Aaron Rodgers, no family, or he has a new girlfriend who's the curse this year, or can't get it done. You have all these things that people say. But they're, the reason people are so critical of guys like that is because they're great. People are so critical of Peyton Manning when he was playing because he was so great. People are very critical of Tom Brady, honestly, up until what, six, seven years ago when he won his fourth and then the fifth and finally people were like, well, damn it, we really can't say anything anymore. I hate when we can't just sit down and appreciate how special and how lucky we are to watch guys like Aaron Rodgers play this game and it just so happens that he's playing at the same era where some of the greatest of all time are and if that wasn't the case, who knows how decorated Rodgers could be but this was more than deserved. Ties Brett Favre for uh, most MVPs won by a Green Bay Packer quarterback. I have been spoiled. I've, all I've known is Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers sprinkled in with a couple games of Matt Flynn as well as Deshaun Kaiser. But, man, I am so fucked as well as the whole Green Bay fan base once Aaron Rodgers leaves. <laughs> Tears. Tears, Wally. Tears. The most surprising thing for the MVP voting that we did find out Josh Allen had four votes for MVP, and Patrick Mahomes had two. Josh Allen doubled the votes for Patrick Mahomes. What is up with this, Wally? Is Mahomes already getting the LeBron treatment? Yeah, and I'm glad that you did bring up the LeBron treatment because I know that you're not a big LeBron fan, but it's another one of those situations where you'll get another sport where you it's not like you're saying that he's not a great player. He's one of the best ever. You're not saying that. It's just you have voter fatigue. With guys like that, if you really were going to give it to the best player in the league every year, people like Patrick Mahomes would be winning this award 10 times in his career. LeBron would probably have freaking 10 MVPs right now. Voters get fatigued. Fans get fatigued. You get tired of turning on ESPN, Fox Sport 1, CBS, and every single time it seems like, oh God, they're just patting this guy on the back yet again. Like He's not that good, but in reality, they are. So, I mean, nothing to take away from Josh Allen. He had an incredible year, and he deserved to get votes. But Patrick Mahomes, to me, he's the best player in the NFL right now. And even though the stats didn't exactly say greatest game ever from Mahomes on Sunday, it was a one-man effort. That offensive line was so bad. You got to truly see how incredible of a talent he is. So... Yeah, I mean, it sucks for Patrick Mahomes, but you know what? When he looks at his bank account at the end of the day after signing that deal last year, I think he's going to be able to get over only getting two votes. Yeah, two votes. Same amount of Super Bowls he's been to. I'm sure he is not too pissed off about it. I feel like we also should be keeping an eye on Pat Mahomes. That's just adding fuel to the fire. You know, it's so hard to get motivated when when you're just hitting the peak of excellence, it feels like. For these Kansas City Chiefs, doing something like this to them, they're going to be on a mission next year to remind the league how dangerous they are. No one's more dangerous in the run game than my guy Derrick Henry, winning Offensive Player of the Year, over 2,000 yards this past season. Now, of course, you know I don't think Derrick Henry got stumped for MVP because my guy won. But come on, if Aaron Rodgers was not in this conversation, do you think that Derrick Henry had the potential of winning this MVP this year? Truthfully, no. I think that we're getting to the point where it's going to take, I mean, a superhuman effort. And he had a superhuman year. You break 2,000 rushing yards in any season in history, you're a part of the most, or one of the most exclusive clubs again that we're talking about that rushing title. So for me, 
it's going to take breaking the rushing record for a running back to get it. You're going to have to get a Randy Moss like 07 season to get a wide receiver in in that discussion. I think that they're at a good point right now where you got to see with him getting named Offensive Player of the Year that they're basically saying the MVP is going to be a quarterback award and it's going to take a superhuman effort to be able to not only transcend Offensive Player of the Year, but pass all those quarterbacks to become the most valuable player as well. February 10th, 2021 at 7.48 p.m., Derrick Henry is going to break the single season rushing yard mark this season, next season, and he's going to win MVP. I'm calling that right now. If you drill that, that would, I mean, honestly, put some money on it because the odds you'll get are going to be insane. And if you could ever find a prop for that rushing record, do that as well. I'm definitely going to throw at least 10, 20 on Derrick Henry winning it. I'm not expecting Aaron Rodgers to put up another career year like this. I'm expecting him to play well, don't get me wrong, but at 38, we'll we'll see how he's going to be looking going into 39. But Derrick Henry does it, not only back-to-back 2,000-yard seasons, but then breaking Eric Dickerson's record that we've only seen come so close. Adrian Peterson, the year after he tore his ACL, man, that was that was fu- fucking phenomenal. But Derrick Henry has that potential. Once the, once the league schedule comes out, we'll really be able to get to dissect once there's some moves made, the kind of rushing defenses that they're playing. But let's not be surprised if King Henry does break that record next year. Crazy enough, when you watch guys, like you mentioned the AP year, which was so much fun to watch, these guys don't exist anymore. This is a league now where it's running back by committee. You have two or three guys taking 10-plus touches a game, whether that's receptions, whether that's rushes or not. Derrick Henry is straight out of 1980. He is a giant bell cow. He deserves to be in that discussion because, I mean, they truly are just lining up and saying, we're going to hand the ball to Derrick Henry, and they're not going to stop him. Load the box up with 8, 9, 10. I do not care. I mean, hell, they used to do that with AP. They are built very differently, but they are getting it done what seems like the same way. And kind of to your point, the running backs are way different. You have, you have your Le'Veon Bells. I, that's a bad example. Two years ago, that would have been a gold example. But Alvin Kamara, for instance, dude had 100 receptions out of the backfield on top of rushing for 1,000 yards. Christian McCaffrey's of the world. The running back position is way different. To your point, we don't have these huge gargoyles. That's like the best way I can put it if you ever watched that show growing up. Gargoyles come to life. That is literally Derrick Henry. He is the final boss you have to face. You beat Bowser and Mario, you have to face Derrick Henry right after that. He is that type of player. I'm going to be pumped if I get this right. That's all I got to say. Well, and then I feel so bad for the guys, like those little corners that are stuck outside the the numbers when he gets a sweep or he catches a pass out of the backfield and they have to stand there and go, oh my God, I have to find a way to get this guy on the ground. And what, I can't even remember who it was this year, what got absolutely thrown on a poster. Josh Norman. Josh Norman, yeah. And well, I mean, I guess he's used to getting beat up on camera and that dragged on Twitter all the way back to the Odell versus Norman days. I mean, he, he does that to people. It's, Norman is going to always have to go and deal with the people like, The you and me of the world that are like, dude, you remember that time where Derrick Henry literally picked you up like a small child and threw you out of bounds? Remember that one time he got paid millions of dollars to play a physical sport and just got 
manhandled like that really big 12 year old that just came to your school and redistricted and they're just playing touch football and he's just throwing elbows in your face not that i wanted to be an nfl player before this i mean obviously i would but that just seems like a lot of work working out getting up early etc but man derrick henry in december that's the last person i'm I'm willing to tackle yeah absolutely i mean just He's incredible. He's incredible. We're not going to probably see guys like this ever again. You don't see him at the college level. You don't even see teams at any level have guys that size line up in the backfield anymore. Usually coaches are, and Derrick Henry had the same thing where they're like, you know what? Yeah, you're a good back, but you could be better at this position or that position. And they're constantly trying to take guys away. So another instance where we have to say, enjoy it while you got it, because Derrick Henry, he feels like the last of a dying breed. He's almost like the black sheep. But you know what? He should go to Seattle since Seattle loves to just pound the run. Even though they have Russell Wilson, they might as well get Derrick Henry and just make a straight-up trade. Just get Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry, ship him off to uh, Seattle, bring Russell Wilson to Tennessee, ultimately Super Bowl contender right off the bat. We'll go from one freak of nature to the next, Wally. Aaron Donald winning yet another Defensive Player of the Year award. Congrats to Aaron Donald. Man... Talk about an absolute beast that you do not want to line up against, block, double team, triple team, does not matter. It's not a man I want to fuck with. He trains with knives in the offseason. But the big question mark is, obviously, we talked about the MVP snub potentially for Derrick Henry. In quotations, you guys cannot see that. But J.J. Watt coming to his brother's defense here, saying he felt that his younger brother, TJ, got snubbed. Love Aaron Donald. Love what he did. But Wally... Do you think that Aaron won this out of popularity and TJ got snubbed? Or did Aaron actually win this strictly because of his stats? And I mean, it's Aaron Donald and what that man can do. I think that if TJ Watt had won the Defensive Player of the Year award, I would say it was very well-deserved and he had a phenomenal year. He's going to continue to have phenomenal years. He's a great talent. Aaron Donald winning to me, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a snub for TJ Watt. This was just a year where you had two very deserving candidates. And what people I feel like keep forgetting, because I know Pittsburgh's really pissed off. They really were angry about this. They thought that TJ really, really got the short end of the stick. It's so hard to change a game at that inside position that Aaron Donald's at, opposed to being such a dominant edge rusher. Not to mention, TJ Watt also had the benefit of playing opposite of Bud Dupree and on an incredible defense all year. That shouldn't be a factor. It's kind of like the same thing when we go back to MVP a lot of the time. We're like, Oh, yeah, but you know what? Look at all the receivers they had. Look how good of a running game they had. And we like always tear down the player because of who was around him. So I know I'm kind of speaking out of both sides of my mouth. But what I'm just trying to say is that what Aaron Donald did was especially impressive, truly because he was not necessarily doing it by himself, but from that position to have an impact on every single game, to have coaches literally double and triple team him throughout entire games to make him as much or to disappear as much as you physically could, I think it was well-deserved. Again, you had two very worthy defensive player to your candidates, and I wouldn't have been upset with either one winning. To your point, Aaron Donald, all he does is get double teamed. TJ Watt had 15 sacks. Aaron Donald had 13 and a half. Aaron Donald's getting double teamed, and it's so hard to even have double-digit sacks at the position that Aaron Donald is playing. T.J. Watt led every other category, or led every category except for forced fumbles. 
TJ Watts also, he's got a little bit of linebacker that he's playing in there as well, as well as coming off the edge when Aaron Donald is primarily, you know, he's lining up in that in that zero gap, that one or two gap, you know, between the center and the guard, depending on what side of the line you're on. And he's getting double teamed for the most part and having a bigger impact, arguably, than J, uh, TJ Watt is having. And to your point, that defense is loaded. Bud Dupree didn't go out, what, week 11, week 12? So he did have a few weeks without Bud Dupree. TJ Watt, kudos to you, man. He had a kick-ass year, but it's Aaron Donald. It is Aaron Donald. And to wrap up the awards that we had here, the Rookie of the Year awards, Chase Young, yeah, boy, won Defensive Player of the Year, while Justin Herbert winning Offensive Rookie of the Year as well. Chase Young, not too surprised. Dude's an absolute beast. Had 42 and a half votes. I think the next person below him had two and a half for that award. Chase Young, kudos to you. Personally, I'm kind of surprised by the Justin Herbert pick. It was between him and Justin Jefferson, but I understand why they picked Justin Herbert. So, Wally, what are you thinking about? I know you already think Chase Young is great. What are you thinking about the Offensive Rookie of the Year award, though? Yeah, Chase Young's the greatest, so I'm not going to talk about that. You already know how high we are in him. Justin Herbert was very deserving of this. This is another one of those where, kind of like the last one we were talking about, where he had two very deserving players. It just comes down to this a quarterback league. And if it's a tie, who's going to get the tiebreaker? It's going to go to a quarterback. If Justin Jefferson doesn't win it in a year that he had, it just goes to show how difficult it is for receivers to win individual accolades like this. The guy was phenomenal. It's, it, he realistically it was one of the best seasons we've seen in Minnesota since prime Randy Moss. So we have to look at the future for him being very bright. Yeah, it's a bummer that he didn't win it. But Herbert deserved it too. I mean, Herbert literally just went out there on a very injury-depleted team. Surprise, surprise, because that's the charges. It's what they do. They get hurt before the season starts, and there's like 12 guys missing. He, he very much deserved this. He's going to be a problem for a long time. I'm not looking forward to seeing the Raiders play him twice a year. Very well deserved. Who knows how high his ceiling is. He might be in that discussion of maybe eventually being an MVP candidate himself if he gets the Chargers over that hump. So I think it was well deserved. And I, I'm not going to harp on the whole, oh, yeah, you know what? Justin Jefferson got screwed because he's not a quarterback. Because Justin Herbert did deserve it too. It really, to me, it felt like the tiebreaker was the quarterback thing more than anything else. So I'm not upset. I think both are going to have very, very bright futures. Congrats to Justin Herbert. Again, very not happy that I have to see him twice a year. Yeah, I have no sympathy for you. Between Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert, have fun in that division. Maybe Denver gets it right, too. You guys are absolutely fucked. Justin Herbert, sixth in the league in passing yards. He finished above Aaron Rodgers, Kirk Cousins, Russell, your boy Derek Carr, Matt Stafford, Phillip Rivers. I mean, 4,300 yards in your rookie year. And he even missed the game. He he probably he may have catapulted up, obviously, top five. Hell, maybe even top three, depending on how that first game went. Chargers are definitely a team that is going to be interesting to watch coming into next year. We will get to that all in due time. Last thing I do want to say about Justin Herbert, I bet that what medical practitioner that stabbed Tyrod Taylor in the, the chest is feeling a lot better today than he did about five months ago. Dude's a fucking genius. Thank you. That, that guy's probably got a raise right now. He's probably in a house just as good as Cliff, uh, Cliff Clingsbury over there in Arizona. But now we are getting to the actual reason everyone listens in here, recaps of some football. 
They had a pretty uh pretty serious game here this past Sunday. The old Super Bowl as they call it. I don't know if you ever heard of it. Pretty fun. I'd watch it next February if I if I had the chance. Tom Brady winning his seventh Super Bowl, first year in Tampa Bay, takes them to the promised land. Tom Brady, 21 of 29, 201 yards and three touchdowns. Nothing special. Kind of looks like the stat lines he had when they won the first couple Super Bowls in the early 2000s with those Patriots. But their rushing attack between Leonard Fournette, a.k.a. Playoff Lenny, and you have Rojo in there. They're combining for 18 touches, 150 yards, and a touchdown. The touchdown going to Leonard Fournette. If you watched it, you know that Rojo got stuffed at the line on a goal line stop. Wally. I'll let you hammer the Chiefs here a little bit. How are the Bucks looking, and could they repeat? You know, I've been wrong on Tom Brady so many times in my life that it really doesn't even hurt anymore. I almost think it's fun now, where, yeah, you know, I was wrong. And, yeah, his stats weren't anything crazy on Sunday, but a lot of that was because they didn't have to be. He knew they had a lead for most of the game. Why Why am I going to be throwing it down the field? I'm going to take those underneath checkdowns. I'm going to trust now Lombardi Lenny to go out and get his job done. Go go feed yourself, man. And that's what that team did. So right now, I will probably backpedal all the way to Columbus come August because I'll probably do the same thing I did last year and say, you know what? They're probably not going to win the division. I had them in the divisional round. I'm not going to stay here and I had them missing the playoffs or anything. But I didn't think that they were good enough to get over that hump. And boy, was I wrong. I'm done betting against Tom Brady until next year when I inevitably do it again. They could repeat as it sits right now. You saw today with their parade. Basically, anytime there was a player that was like, hey, you know what? I hope I can come back and they have free agency or something like that. You'd see Bruce Arians. Oh, you're coming back, boy. Like, you're going to be back. So if that's the case and they do truly run it back, well, then shit, yeah, they're probably one of the immediate favorites to win. I think right now they're plus 950 early on to win next year's Super Bowl. I mean, shit, that's a great odds for a defending champion. Assuming you get Tom Brady playing at the same level again, why not? Now, for the Chiefs, this game really showed how big that Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher injury was. That offensive line, it looked like you went on Madden. You turned all the sliders to zero, and the defensive line, literally, they were through before Mahomes had the ball in his hands half the time. We were both talking about it earlier. We saw the stat. Patrick Mahomes ran for 498 yards before passing the ball on Sunday to 37 for Tom Brady. That is unreal. It just goes to show how talented Patrick Mahomes is for, honestly, keeping this a game as long as it was. The Bucs were firmly in control, I know, but you got to even see those crazy plays in the fourth quarter. He throws that ball where he's parallel to the ground, and it bounces right off Tyreek Hill's face mask. Yeah, it's it's very it'd be very frustrating if I'm a Chiefs fan right now. Luckily, I was very happy to see them lose. Yeah, I was a little bummed out to see the Bucs win with Tom Brady and all that. That sucked, but it was definitely the lesser of two evils. I think there's a very real chance that you see the Chiefs back in February next year playing for the Super Bowl yet again. It's just a matter of now, stay healthy, try to get a little bit a little bit more support maybe for that interior offensive line. You got to imagine that the the tackles aren't both going to be out for the Super Bowl yet again. It's just a freak accident. So, we'll see how they go about this offseason, how they choose to address that offensive line. Honestly, I'm not going to take away from Tampa Bay from what they did. They had a brilliant game plan on both sides of the ball. They completely outclassed the Chiefs top to bottom. I know Andy Reid, his head was probably in other places too with the unfortunate stuff going on with his family. At the end of the day, the Bucs won this game. 
the Chiefs didn't lose it. The Bucks stole this game from the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, holding them to three field goals, not a single touchdown, miraculous. Todd Bowles had this Buccaneers defense ready to play. I know this is going to sound crazy. He held Pat Mahomes to 270 yards. Tom Brady's even have 200. He had 201. But two interceptions, which Wally, I called the two interceptions, sacked three times, which you wouldn't believe that he only got sacked three times based off the record that he just set of running 498 yards collectively while scrambling away from the D-line of the Buccaneers. There's a lot of things that they need to address. Patrick Mahomes is just able to cover the poor offensive line play in this past year. Missing both tackles now, he cannot get covered. He was getting covered up all game. They were fucking with him. They were double-teaming Tyreek Hill, keeping him out as an option. Travis Kelsey, a lot of yards. What, 10 receptions for 133? Resulted in absolutely nothing. Most of those were garbage times. Shout out to Travis Kelsey, though. Over longest reception you have, 23 and a half. Took him to the fourth quarter to hit that 28-yard reception, but that's why we watch the game. That's why we gamble. We wait till it hits triple zeros, baby. I have this hot take, though, for you, Wally. With the O-line playing horrible, obviously I know that the Chiefs' O-line does play better, but, but how much better? Mahomes and the Chiefs are a hotter, sexier version of the Seattle Seahawks. Now, I want to hear why you say that. So, you know, back 2012, 2013, those times, Russell Wilson had the Legion of Boom, and he was running a very mediocre offense, bottom 15 in the league, but he had a great defense to fall on. Russell Wilson can never get protected. That's why he has sacked all this time. That's why the offense has never really been that good. Within the past couple years, obviously, they're allowing Russell to evolve, throw more passes. This year, they allow him to throw the most passes of his career, but that's where they're very similar. Legion of Boom, equates to the powerful offense of the Kansas City Chiefs, but they will never go as far because of how bad their O-line is going to play. And the Buccaneers doing what they did to them in that in that Super Bowl game is making that clear that Patrick Mahomes is masking a lot of the problems that that team has. Because just like how the Seahawks offense was mediocre, just like the Kansas City defense is, you can't keep relying on Patrick Mahomes to make these plays when you have no offensive line to block for him. This Sunday has made that very clear. Going to my boy Aaron Rodgers, he had a few years when he had a horrible offensive line and everyone was counting this man out. He's throwing the ball away too much. He can't get his receivers open. He's getting sacked all all these times. This is the same time Russell Wilson was getting sacked and no one was talking about because Aaron was getting sacked much more than him. It seems like Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs are going on this decline in that direction because Travis Kelsey's aging. He's going to be gone the next two to three years. We don't know what Tyreek Hill's situation is going to be once his contract is up. Maybe he walks and tries to get some money. Once he win a couple of Super Bowls, everyone's looking to pay those big people all that big money to get a piece of that to maybe uh, bring over to their team. So I'm going to have a little bit of fear about the Kansas City Chiefs. If they can't get that O-line to work, are we going to be looking at a situation that is similar to how Russ in Seattle's looking right now? That is actually a really interesting take on all this. I'm not going to go that far yet. This is interesting because I think Russell Wilson is an incredible quarterback. I just think that there is that much of a gap between Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes, and that is nothing against Russell Wilson. That is purely on how high I am on Patrick Mahomes. This guy has lost now Patrick Mahomes, not the Chiefs. I know they lost that garbage game to the Chargers when nobody was playing at the end of the year. 
He has lost two games since like November of last regular season. And I know the teams are good. I know Tyreek Hill is great. It's nice to have these weapons like Travis Kelsey you mentioned. What will they do when those contracts are up? Yeah, that'll be interesting. But how much of it do you, I mean, you see in Pittsburgh where it seems like every single time there's a wide receiver that comes in, they draft him in the fourth round, they're unreal, they go somewhere else, they're nothing good. How much of this is Patrick Mahomes going to be making these wide receivers? How good are they? Because I believe his play is going to elevate everyone around him as well. I think you're going to see them still win plenty of Lombardi trophies in Patrick Mahomes' day and age, purely because of how good he is. Now, maybe it maybe injuries catch up. Maybe if the defense takes like even more steps back down the road, we might see some issues. But as of right now, I'm not going to panic too much and say, you know what, yeah, the Chiefs, man, they're going to have a lot more trouble than we thought purely because they locked up the most important piece in the NFL right now, and that is Patrick Mahomes. I'm not panicking. I think they will be fine. Their trajectory early early in their careers are very similar. First year as a starter, don't get to the Super Bowl. Second year as a starter, they both get to the Super Bowl, win the Super Bowl, as well as the MVP. Third year as a starter, get to the Super Bowl, lose to Tom Brady, both of them. Too many similarities. Not that there's really any correlation. Correlation doesn't mean causation, but it's overreaction Wednesday in our case right now. And there's nothing in the future for NFL, so we have to talk about something while we're waiting for free agency to hit. Now, a couple things I do want to touch on before we move on from this game. One being that there's been a lot of people talking about how Eric Bieniemy has yet again gone through another cycle of head coaching hires where he's not got hired and people are are wondering whether or not this has anything to do with his past, whether this has anything to do with the fact that he's a black coach. Now, not to take away from the enemy whatsoever, and there are a lot of rumors that he doesn't interview very well. If you want to talk about assistant coach, black assistant coaches that should or could be head coaches again in the future, I'm so glad you brought up Todd Bowles. What an incredible game plan he had, and he definitely deserves a second try or second crack at coaching again. Anybody could have struggled with what he had in New York at that time. Not to mention, Biennemi was thoroughly outcoached by his counterpart, the offense coordinator for the Bucs, Byron Lethwich. A lot of people have forgotten that this guy, when he went to Arizona, he was phenomenal there. Bruce Arians noticing that, he's like, dude, come on with me. Let's go over to Tampa Bay. And that offense right now, I know that that is a lot of Arians too. The offense has looked incredible. And yeah, it's easy to win when you have Tom Brady and three freaking number one wide receivers on your team. I get it. But the dude is still balling. He's calling great games, and I really, really like his future. And it might be a matter of time before we get to see not only Todd Bowles, not only Byron Leftwich in the head coaching ring. You might get to see Eric Bieniemy in there too. Uh, I'd like to hear your opinion on that. And then last thing I want to pose for you, and I want to say one thing before I send it your way, is there's a lot of people talking about the refereeing in this game, where it felt like Tampa Bay was the beneficiary on quite a few questionable calls. Yeah, you know what? You might be right. A few of those were questionable. I think that the pick that Tyron Matthew had that they called a holding on the outside for, that was really close to when the ball was deflected at the line. You have the one in the end zone where it looked like it was uncatchable. Yeah, those might have been bad calls. I get that. They're not affecting the outcome of this game whatsoever. The Bucs were thoroughly the better team for 60 full minutes in this game. You can literally take all the penalties away from Kansas City, and there were a lot. And guess what? Most of them were rightfully called. 
You take those away, the Chiefs still lose this game. Yeah, maybe it's not as bad. But I promise you right now, we should not be talking about the refereeing come Wednesday. We should be talking about how this defense could do what no one else has been able to do in the last several years with Patrick Mahomes. And that was just literally take him out of the game. They shut him down. And that front four deserves all the credit. That defense, Todd Bowles, deserves all the credit. And I'm really sick and tired of hearing the referee talk already. Where the hell are these referees when they're playing Green Bay. I would have loved a couple of those calls. I will say I hate having, you know, referees decide the game. There are a lot of stupid penalties on Kansas City's side. I'm not going to side with Kansas City saying if they did not have the penalties that they would have won this game. They definitely would have made it close, though. Well, there's about three or four of those in the first half. Those penalties extended drives. But other than that, Wally, I'm going to have to agree with you. We take most of these penalties out of here. That does not matter. JPP is still going to be there. Adamican Sue is still going to be there. Shaq Barrett. I'm, excuse me. Sack Barrett is going to be there. Levante David. Devin White. My goodness. That defense is young. It is scary. I have been preaching about them since we started this podcast, and you've been doubting me. And they and they come back and do this. This, this is awesome. And if Bruce Arians is, is going to stay true to his word, and they're going to run it back with essentially the fully loaded roster that they had. Plus 950, I'm going to throw another 30 bucks on it. They're at plus 800 when I took them last year, right after they got Tom Brady. How are the odds even higher now? And the crazy thing is, too, is you have guys like Devin White and Levante David, assuming that David's back, too, because that was another one of the guys that Arians was like, hey, we're going to run it back. Those guys are going to get better. I mean, Devin White is already – people are overreacting. I'm not ready to say he's the best middle linebacker in football. I think that's a little – just in the moment right now, people are getting high in life. But he has that potential to be the best middle linebacker in the league. The guy's incredibly fast. He has good ball skills. And he has high football IQ. I know that's the most generic thing that people say in the world. But you can't teach football IQ. You cannot teach that mental ability to in-game – you know, obviously, your play. You know what you're supposed to do, but when shit hits the fan and you have to abandon your assignment, there are only a few guys that have that special gift of knowing where the ball is going to be, where I should be to be opportunistic, not only for myself, but the guys around me. And with that, Wally, we are going to wrap up here another episode of Loss of Down, the recap of the Super Bowl. Wally, thank you for always joining me in Pittsburgh, taking time out of your day to do this and edit and at the same time be gorgeous. But before we go, we do need to recap this a little bit. So last week, I picked the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Wally picked the Kansas City Chiefs by the minus three spread. We ended up making a bet that the loser has to pay the winner $30 on top of eating the Impossible Whopper from Burger King for a week straight for lunch. So, Wally, you're officially three days in. How do you feel about the Impossible Whopper? And do you think by, you know, this time next week, you're just going to be full vegan? The full vegan comment. Jesus. Uh, I will disappoint you, as you've known, and anybody that follows us on our Instagram page would also know by now, I am three days in. I have eaten three of these. And unfortunately for Steven, I'm living my best life right now. These Impossible Whoppers, for some reason... They don't taste that much different than Whoppers. And don't get me wrong. Yeah, I'm, I'm lathering up my ketchup and mustard on there. Anybody who's seen me eat, it's a little disgusting because I've got full-fledged Yinzer syndrome where everything has to be drenched in Heinz ketchup. 
But yeah, it's it's actually not bad. I've been enjoying it. Not to mention the fact that you pair that with the fact that I'm eating an impossible Whopper because the Kansas City Chiefs lost a game. These things are amazing. If there's only been one downside to this is that I'm going typically at lunchtime. So there's a line and that's a little bit of a pain in the ass. But for all in all, I've kind of not hated them. Not only have I been enjoying the impossible Whopper, I guess the only drawback for me is that I've been trying to lose some weight in the new year, as I mentioned earlier in the episode. And these things are still like 600 calories each. So it's not exactly like this vegetarian burger is all exactly good for you because by no means have I been leaving this feeling hungry for more. And I know that this hasn't been good on the old cholesterol and the old heart right now. You're a sick fuck for enjoying this, Bat Wally. But I'd rather have it you than me because I know that you are enjoying it way more than I could. I tell you what, if you really want to punish me, and I feel like it would probably go both ways. A real punishment for next year if we do disagree again, instead of going the eat route, make it so I have to freaking run on a treadmill for an hour a day. Because I tell you what, I would hate my life, but it at least at the end of the week, I'll be like, well, thanks, Steven. I'm glad you were right. Like as I'm crying with sweat in my eyes. Well, I want to continue this podcast. I'm not trying to get my guy into cardiac arrest while I'm trying to get you physically fit at the same time. Yeah, well, and, and it's been good so far. For Update for everyone out there. Since November, your boy went from 332. He's down to 295. Is that a big deal? I don't know. That's 37 big LBs right there. All I have to say is shout out to me and Tom Brady because we at least contributed to 30 pounds of that strictly because of this week. Man, see, you thought you hated Tom Brady. And look, he is motivating you more than you think, Wally. You pair that with the fact that the stress buildup of watching the Raiders implode down the stretch, right around which coincides with that November time where my body is eating itself from the, the anger and disgust and the Chiefs going to the Super Bowl. I have you and the Impossible Whopper to thank. This is going to shortly be endorsed by BK, obviously, because I am the biggest BK fan out there. Most important thing is, your go-to is start drinking when the Raiders are doing bad. And look at you. Look at you, Wally. You're looking great, kid. It's that unfortunate drinking where it's the, I'm so sad, I'm not going to eat and only drink. So the goal is to eventually lose enough weight where I just have a beer gut. Sounds like a pretty solid goal. I mean, drink a couple IPAs. That's going to fill you up. Essentially like a loaf of bread. You're going to feel great right after it. Have a lot of energy. and You'll be golden. I can't go away from my icy lights. The it's it's that Iron City, baby. It's that Pittsburgh. I gotta live with that, and then throw a little. I'll sprinkle a little Yingling in there. I know it's Eastern PA, but we still take great pride of it over here on Western side. Couple funny things before we hop out of here. One, Tom Brady throwing the Super Bowl. Sorry, the Lombardi Trophy. You know I had to do that over the water to another boat to what I believe is finding out that it's Cameron Bray. This guy does not give a fuck anymore. See, I almost wanted to fall in because you know how cool it is. I mean, you already have in uh, New England with the dent in the one because of Gronk. I think it'd be so cool if you have the the two, I guess, in Tampa Bay right now where you have the pristine, regrettable 2002-2003. We won't talk about that Super Bowl. But the one most recent next to this gorgeous Lombardi and it's got like like algae and just – like there's like barnacles growing on the side. That would have been awesome. Seaweed and kelp is trend. I can I can picture it now. It's just the Lombardi Trophy with a nice seaweed kelp wig, you know, to really tie its eyes together. Which, if you guys don't know, the eyes are the laces right down the middle. Well said. I, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. But yeah, credit again. 
to Tom Brady, credit to the Buccaneers. They did what I thought was impossible, what a lot of people thought was impossible. And all of a sudden, now it's the hot ticket to get back on them. But who knows? We might be talking a very similar conversation next year. Who knows? Could we get Mahomes and Brady part two? I would hope for that. Me and my buddy Dylan Watts were talking about this. If Mahomes never gets this chance again, he will never be the greatest quarterback of all time. It will always go to Tom Brady because we will go to the matchup where Tom Brady is 2-1. and one. But in the big game, 1-0. and oh. Well, and in, even in that other big game, it was the one that got Tom Brady to another Lombardi trophy when they beat him at Arrowhead. I know that was because of the coin flip. But yeah, so I, I could definitely see that that point. It might take Mahomes truly passing Brady in numbers to get him to that point. But this was a very big legacy game for both of these guys. One other funny thing from the Super Bowl parade here in Tampa Bay. Leonard Fournette saying, it is so hot out here. The sun got me seeing things. I thought JPP had all fingers on his hands just now. JPP, man. I, I tell you what, what, what a freaking treasure. I think it's awesome that he's still playing at such a high level after losing those fingers. I think it's also a lot of fun that you have a guy like him who's able to kind of sit back and laugh about it now a few years later. It's easier, too, when you're hammered on a on a freaking Super Bowl parade in the middle of the water in Tampa Bay, I suppose. Fun fact, Jason Pierre-Paul has seven and a half fingers. If Tom Brady wins another ring, he cannot fit all of Tom Brady's rings on his hand. Well, that is going to wrap us up here this week on Loss of Down. And I really do mean it this time. Before we hop out of here, Wally, do we have any last comments? I know it's a little bit of a bummer to end the show like this, but I, I just wanted to say it, we've taken a few real big losses in the sports world this week between Terrell's Paler, who is the writer with Yahoo Sports. I didn't follow his work too much because he was a Kansas City Chiefs insider and reporter. But anybody who's ever known him sounds like he was an outstanding guy. Then you have Chris Wesseling, who I've followed on Twitter. He, he seemed, again, another awesome human being. And then, of course, if you are a baseball fan, we lost Pedro Gomez this past week as well on Super Bowl Sunday, sadly enough. So it's, 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 a, very, it's a rough time for, for sports, too. We, we enjoy these moments like the Super Bowl, but then we obviously sometimes forget the human element. So just we're thinking and sending good vibes to all those families and people that were affected by that. And hopefully it's the last of news like this for, for quite some time. We were hoping to leave all this bad news in 2020, but it seems to be spilling over in 2021. So to kind of echo what Wally was saying, condolences to all the families. You know, Pedro Gomez especially stuck out to me I'm in this group of people. I'm not a huge baseball fan, but growing up, definitely watched it. Pedro Gomez was one of those people. But nonetheless, all three of those families do want to send their condolences out. It's kind of it's kind of hard to tell people to follow all of our social media platforms after just kind of being depressed here, Wally. But we're all going to scroll through social media. You might as well follow Loss of Down here on Instagram and Facebook at Loss of Down or on Twitter, down underscore loss. Especially Instagram, so you can continue following the saga we know as Wally Lukashevsky enjoys the impossible whopper, in parentheses, this guy's a sick fuck, in parentheses. He's Wally Lukashevsky, and I finally got it right. Let's ride. Raiders 2022 champions. Oh, and don't forget to watch us next week. We got part two coming out on Wednesday. 